Today on Oral Valley Catholic, marriage, theology of the body, and the celibate life. What do they all have in common? So George Bernard Shaw, great writer for the 19th century, said that marriage brings two people together under the influence of the most violent, most insane, most delusive, and most transient of passions. They're required to swear that they will remain in that excited, abnormal, and exhausting condition continuously until death do them part. Well, maybe there's more to the story of marriage. At least the Lord teaches that there is as he talks about where marriage comes from, what it means, and where it's going. Today on Oral Valley Catholic. The gospel for the 31st Sunday of Ordinary Time comes from Luke chapter 20. And in it, the Sadducees, who are a party that was responsible for running the temple in Jerusalem, and they did not believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe that in the resurrection because it was not clearly revealed in the first five books of Scripture, the, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Their foes, their opponents in, in first century Judaism were the Pharisees, and the Pharisees did believe in the resurrection of the body, but at the end of time. And the Sadducees and the Pharisees are each in their own way opposed to Jesus. Uh, and so in the gospel, the Sadducees come up and they pose a story to Jesus about a woman that had seven husbands. And they ask, well, in the world to come, uh, whose wife will she be? So let's take a moment, but we're going to go more into depth in that scripture in another place where Jesus talks about the beginning and the end of marriage. But to kind of set the stage for the discussion of these, of these gospels from Luke and this gospel from Matthew 19 about divorce and what it has to say about the nature of marriage, I wanted to kind of redirect our attention to a wonderful little play written by St. John Paul II called The Jeweler's Shop. And though I guess I'm not going to go into a blow-by-blow of the play, it is a story about three couples. And the three couples, Teresa and Andre, Anna and Stefan, and Monica and Christophe, uh, each have their own challenges in marriage. Teresa and Andre, their marriage has ended rather early when Andre is killed in the war. Anna and Stefan's marriage goes on for quite a while, but filled with a lot of marital struggles. And so Christophe is Teresa and Andre's son, and Monica is Stefan and Anna's daughter, and they get married. He, Christophe doesn't have a dad. He lost him in the war. Monica has two parents, but they haven't been a particularly great uh, example to them. And so what John Paul was meditating on is this mystery of marriage where we have so much wrapped up in our desire uh, for love and what marriage can bring. But his meditation is on this Christian understanding of the meaning of marriage. So in the jeweler's shop, Carol Wojtyla, the author of the of the play, that is John Paul's uh, name before he became Pope. He says in the jeweler's shop, quote, love is not an adventure. It has the taste of the whole man. It has his weight and the weight of his whole fate. 
It cannot be a single moment. Man's eternity passes through it, end quote. That's why Jesus spends so much time commenting on marriage. And when you think of the description of marriage ended in death, or marriage struggling with sin, or marriage in that third couple where you deal with all the fallout of your parents' marriages, either in death or the kind of unhappiness you witnessed as a child. All of it has this experience, this human experience. None of us comes out of our family of origins untouched, and we all carry that into our experiences in life. And so I would like to take a little time to talk about marriage and celibacy and what they have in common in the way that Jesus understands them. So let's turn and talk about uh, the two Gospels, one from Luke 20 and one from Matthew 19, where Jesus talks about where marriage comes from and where it's going. Because the jeweler shop is about marriage as you and I experience it to understand where it comes from and where it's going, gives the necessary context to understand the filial, nuptial, and procreative meaning of marriage and what we're all being prepared for. So let's turn to the gospel now. So in the gospel for this Sunday, the 31st Sunday in Ordinary Time, the Sadducees who don't believe in the resurrection and they want to prove how silly Jesus' teaching about the resurrection of the body is, come and ask him this question. And the question is about this poor woman who gets married and her husband dies. And so she ends up being married seven times to seven different men. And uh, then they ask, okay, so in the resurrection of the dead, who she's married to, who is she really married to? Uh, you know, like a sophomoric question. What's behind this, this question, though, in Luke 20 is the book of Tobit in the Old Testament. And if you remember the book of Tobit, which is this beautiful story about marriage, Sarah, who is this young woman that is uh, uh, the object of a demonic obsession, she actually gets married seven times to seven different men. And uh, each one of them are killed on her wedding night. And so the Sadducees are going back to this piece of wisdom literature. It's interesting that she marries Tobias, um, and it's on the eighth night. So they go through seven, which is the seven days of the week. But on the eighth day, she finds her bridegroom. Early Christians saw in it a sign of the resurrection, because remember, Jesus sleeps through the Sabbath, the seventh day. And he rises from the dead on the eighth day, which is the day that Tobias takes Sarah as, as his wife. And that's why it's a wedding ceremony when Jesus is crucified and rises from the dead. Like um, in, the, in the story of Tobit, it's the archangel Gabriel that binds Asmodeus, the, the demon that is tormenting poor Sarah, um, in the gospel, it's Jesus that binds death and rises from the dead. And then that is the nuptial, uh, the filial, and the procreative meaning of marriage uh, to be fulfilled in the resurrection. And Jesus talks about it, but in an oblique way, when he responds to the Sadducee in Luke 20 uh, about their question about who this poor woman is going to be married to, 
uh, in the resurrection. And so here's what Jesus says in the second half of the uh, gospel reading. The children of this age marry and remarry, but those who deem, are deemed worthy to attain to the coming age and to the resurrection of the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. They can no longer die, for they are like angels, and they are the children of God, because they are the ones who will rise. And so when Jesus responds, I guess if he was an American, he would say, Oh, you Sadducees are wrong on three counts. Let me tell you all about it. First, you're wrong about the nature of heaven. Uh, it's not like this world. Uh, there isn't, it's a deathless world, so procreation in a natural sense doesn't happen uh, in heaven. Um, you're wrong about women. Men don't get to own women, and so in the resurrection of the dead, women don't belong to anybody. They're daughters of God. And then you're wrong about marriage because you think of marriage as this property right. You think of marriage as about um, what your plans are for building your family in this world. But marriage is a fulfillment of this relationship between God and his church. That's why marriage is a sacrament which becomes uh, fulfilled when Christ is the bridegroom of uh, all souls, male and female, that we are meant for uh, uh, this intimate relationship of God where God is in us and we are in God and the closest thing we have in human relationships to explain it is, is marriage. You know, that quote from Gerard, uh, uh, George Bernard Shaw about love being crazy, the problem, of course, is, is when we end up reducing marriage to uh, what I get out of it, which is this ancient view of marriage where it was a property right. Marriage didn't own property so much as the male owned the female. Um, but that we now just make the opposite error that marriage is about chasing our feelings and this sense of fulfillment that, the, uh, that love can bring. But Carol Wojtyla thought marriage was like a drama. Um, it's there's actors, there's the man and the woman, there's this story that unfolds over time, but the storyteller, the author of it, is of course God. And so in his story, The Jeweler's Shop, um, the jeweler is a stand-in for God. And so when people come and buy their rings in the jeweler's shop, um, they're receiving this sign, this symbol, of this sacramental union between them. Remember, Bishop Sheen wrote a book called Three for Marriage, which is a shorty, but it's very good. But it's about marriage between a man and a woman and God because love only finds its fulfillment in God. And so when Jesus says that we live like angels, remember, angels are creatures. They're created by God, completely spiritual and deathless. But he's not saying in this story that uh, when we die, we'll become bodiless with like angels don't have bodies. That's not what he's saying. Because the good news is that human beings will rise in their body. What he's saying is, is that in, in marriage, we all reflect God's will and the beauty of God, just like the angels reflect God's will. So if you can imagine that the beauty of uh the fulfillment of marriage 
in heaven is the struggles you went through on earth, how you, how you went through them, uh, the love of your children and your grandchildren, all present in marriage and the joy that you get uh, from the um, uh, experience of the fulfillment of everybody else's marriage. Because in, in heaven, in the communion of the saints, we're all like mirrors that reflect God's love and so by giving love away, love actually increases and our experience of it increases. I mean, uh, there is a reason for exclusivity in uh, our human experience of the sacrament of marriage um, so that love is given away, but that the one thing that we never have enough of, that there is no mean to, is the amount of love that we experience. And so... If you've ever been in a happy family with a happy marriage, and I hope you have, is that uh, to experience the beauty of a birth of children and of grandchildren to the truly blessed, great-grandchildren, and you get to see the joy of them growing up, um, there is something about that joy that is the sacramental sign of the joy of heaven. Because all the angels reflect the love of God, your guardian angel, the archangels. They are God's presence because they truly reflect God. You know, the best example that I have, it just happened last week at the uh, trunk or treat that we had on, uh, on Saturday before All Hallows' Eve. Um, there was a big dance contest, and nobody dances as well as all the little kids at St. Mark Parish. And at the end of that, contest just spontaneously this little conga line started being led by one of the older girls with all the little girls and boys following around her i think the longest it got was about 10 kids because they had trouble holding on but one time at one moment one of the girls in the conga line who's a great dancer she went over to her grandpa who was sitting watching and smiling and watching everything she went over and she took her grandfather's hands and put them on her little shoulders and then she led her grandpa around in a conga line and I thought you know that is something about the beauty of marriage and the beauty of being a grandfather so this story about uh, that the Sadducees present about marriage and what it's like in the world to come well what it's like is the, the fulfillment of love um, and I'm going to get into it more in the last part of uh, this episode of Oral Valley Catholic, but it's about how God's love is fulfilled in each of us as children of God. God's love is fulfilled in each of us because there's this nuptial meaning to the human body that is fulfilled by our love for each other uh, through the grace of the Holy Spirit. And then the procreative meaning of our bodies where we don't just give birth to the bodies of others like two sacks of DNA rubbing together and creating a third sack of DNA. But fundamentally, moms and dads, celibate priests, grandparents, they're fathers of other people's souls. How it is that we love them and make it possible for these young souls to come uh, to fruition uh, in, in the grace of God. So Luke chapter 20 about marriage and the end of marriage in heaven like angels is a mirror image of a story of another story that Jesus tells 
um, and it's in uh, Matthew chapter 19, and it's a story where uh, the Pharisees, not the Sadducees, are coming to, to argue with Jesus, and they want to ask him a question about the law. The Sadducees are about the interpretation of Scripture, but the Pharisees want to show that Jesus just isn't uh, very good at being a Pharisee and doesn't know how to answer the law. So here in Matthew chapter 19, verse uh, uh, 2, uh, it says, Great crowds followed him, and he cured them there. Then some Pharisees approached him and tested him, saying, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause, whatever? And Jesus said in reply, Have you not read that from the beginning... The Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, no, no human being must separate. Just think of that story in, re, in contrast to the story about heaven uh, in Luke 20. Matthew 19 is, Jesus points them back, to God's creative attempt, uh, creative intent in the beginning before the fall of Adam and Eve. In chapter 1, he makes the male and female. The human person uh, is revealed fully in the masculine and the feminine, in the male and the female. And what John Paul will call the nuptial meaning of the body, that we're made for connection with others. We're not like amoebas who reproduce on our own, that would be a different creature. Instead, at the very heart of human reality uh, is this story about our beginnings and what we're made for. One flesh, one body, male and female. And so to understand the gift of the body as Jesus describes it in heaven in Luke chapter 20 is to get this kind of holistic understanding of Jesus's teaching about God's creative intent and what the end of the human being is. And it really is this image of God sending us out, uh, God's uh, creative intent in the Exodus, sending us out in, into, uh, into time and space, and then calling us back to uh, ourselves that there is in some real powerful sense, each of us exists in solitude uh, because we have our own interior lives, which other people are simply not privy to. Only God is privy to that. Um, but this solitude seeks communion. And that ultimately is what the teaching of Christ is about marriage. So now we're gonna turn to uh, a discussion of the theology of the body and what the good news of the gospel is that we don't rise from the dead as like amoebas and just these spirits that share themselves with each other. No, we'll rise from the dead in our bodies, our glorified bodies that'll be transformed in the Holy Spirit. So let's take a moment and turn in our final section of Oral Valley Catholic and talk about the, the theology of the body and the filial, nuptial, and procreative mean, uh, nature of the body and how it's revealed in both the sacrament of marriage and in the celibate commitment uh, of 
the parish priest. Returning briefly to the jeweler shop in the first act, if you remember Andrew and Teresa and Andrew dies in the war and leaves their son Christophe, um, that they're looking into the jeweler shop and uh, Andrew recalls that the rings in the window appeal to us with a strange force. Now they're just artifacts of precious metal, but it will be so only until that moment when I put one of them on Teresa's finger and she puts the other on mine. You know, this idea of the symbol of the ring, which is still so prevalent in our understandings of marriage, there's the promise ring, the engagement ring, and then finally the wedding rings, and each of them symbolize a different level of commitment and intentionality about the future, um, the best hopes for the future. We get so used to seeing symbols like that or signs, and we understand them, but how about the sign of the body of the man and the woman of Andrew and Teresa? And so for John Paul, uh, St. John Paul, he said that there was a threefold meaning of the body. And what he said is that the body has this threefold pattern. First, the body is filial, like a child, because it represents the human solitude before God and our openness towards God. The body is man's meeting place with God the Father. It's that quiet place in you where nobody really can hear your thoughts. And there you're alone with God as he comes to you through your conscience. And uh, it's this intimate uh, relationship, and it's why taking care of our interior life is so important, because it has to be a place of safety, acceptance, where you're open to what God actually has to say to you as a father to a beloved child. But John Paul would point out that at the same time, the body has a nuptial meaning, a meaning about marriage, because the body's very identity as male or female is a vocation to become a spouse. Now think of that vocation to become a spouse if it's just about emotions um, you know, it, it is purely just this natural, uh, kind of short-lived human experience. But to see matrimony coming from the root for mater, for mother, as a way of committed love and openness to the procreative nature of human existence is to say that human procreation is rooted in this creative force of God. Um, the nuptial meaning of the body, that man's body by itself does not give life. Woman's body by itself does not host life. But it's the nuptial meaning of the, of, the, of the human bodies, male and female, that finds its proper completion in the openness to God the Creator's gift of fruitfulness. So when the Sadducees were talking to Jesus, the Pharisees were talking to Jesus. They're really only talking about marriage as if it was uh, rights to another person's body, but without a purpose. The purpose is openness to God and his divine intent for the human person. You know, it's not surprising that um, people don't understand the purpose of sex or of marriage in our culture except in some very impoverished terms. You know, you've heard the phrase, art for art's sake. 
You know, the idea that somehow just a work of art, whether it's a crucifix in a glass of urine, as is like one famous artist once did, who I don't know why this guy is famous, or Rembrandt's prodigal son, two different kinds of art. Um, one's not better than the other, it's just art for art's sake. It's, sake, it's sex for sex's sake. Um, nothing points to anything. But you know that idea in the jeweler shop of the ring and what it means when on Andrew puts it on Teresa's finger, uh, it says something about purposefulness and intent uh, in human beings that are joined to the purposes and intentions of God in creation. John Paul wrote in, in uh, one of his Wednesday lectures, which became the theology of the body, he said, human bodies, which are recovered and also renewed in the resurrection, will preserve their specific masculine or feminine character and the meaning of being male or female in the body will be constituted, understood differently in the other world than it had been from the beginning and then in its whole earthly dimension. That is, when Jesus talks about what God's intentions were in the beginning for Adam and Eve, as in Matthew 19, that the fulfillment of it is in heaven. It's not a redo of what the past is. It's like a seed that has come to fruition so that the dimension, John Paul says, of masculinity and femininity that is being made male and female in the body will be newly constituted in the resurrection of the body uh, in that other world. Dante talks about it on his Divine Comedy. Um, and it's that in the, in the resurrection and in heaven, our bodies more purposefully mirror God's original intent that we become images and likeness of him, just like his son, Jesus, is his image and likeness and perfection. So we too will become other Christs, mirroring God's love. So Dante is talking to Virgil and they're, um, they're talking about heaven. And so uh, he asked Virgil, you know, how can something uh, be just exponentially increased? How can, he says, how can something good if shared by more make each one's portion richer in its worth than if the same thing were possessed by few? Because value for us human beings becomes rarity, something that I have that you don't have. Uh, and so it's worth more because I have this and you don't. Uh, but Virgil corrects him. Uh, Virgil, the famous Roman philosopher, corrects him and says, the more souls that burn in heaven above as mirrors flashing light on one another, the more there is for all of them, the more there is of love. And so God's love is increased in his people. Remember in uh, Luke's gospel, in the first chapter, Mary's Magnificat, my, my soul magnifies the Lord, um, that the whole purpose of human existence is to magnify God. So when we are thinking about uh, the meaning of marriage uh, and the meaning of human love, male and female, in its fruition as uh, Christ talks about it, where it's life like the angels is mirrors of God's love. What does that say about celibate love? You know, the thing about celibacy, and it can be so in marriage too, 
if you don't live the vocation to love in marriage and you're just some old codger, male or female, uh, you're just like an old maid or an old uh, bachelor angrily shaking your fist out the world at the world. What's the image of that in love? How about the celibate priest who just becomes a crank um, and is uh, angry with his parishioners, angry with his staff? Um, never, never here at St. Mark. But that there's this failure to be a father to other souls. Uh, husband and wife, parish priest, all are called to fulfill that threefold call of human love the, that's made present in our body. In our solitude, we're sons of God, all of us firstborn sons of God, all of us equal in our baptism where we're conformed to Christ, male and female, all of us uh, having this nuptial meaning to our bodies that spiritually we become fulfilled because we learn to love others as the other. It's not as George Bernard Shaw said, this passionate thing that, you know, we're trying to hold on to this feeling like being 18. But instead, like John Paul, this mystery we enter into where our love is fulfilled in, well, my love is fulfilled in trying my best to be a faithful parish priest and care for you. And then uh, the procreative nature. Wouldn't it be great if through my ministry you grew in love of God and one another? Through your experience of your mom and dad, you grew in love of God and one another. Through others' experience of you, they grew in God, love of God and one another. So that this procreative, uh, this literally for creation, was bringing us all into union with God. So I love that story I told you about that little girl leading her grandpa around in the dance there at, uh, at our trunk retreat. Because I thought that to me was the image and love of God. Uh, across these generations, joined by God's love. So the jeweler's shop, um, St. John Paul's theology of the body. We are made for love. It's present in us as sons of God. It's present in uh, the meaning of our need for completion in love of others. And uh, that love, that nuptial meaning of our bodies is made present when we become fathers and mothers of the souls of others. And so this is what it means um, to live like angels who care for us, our guardian angels who protect us, uh, and to think about uh, this beautiful, beautiful uh, vocation that God has called us to in the celibate priesthood and in your own married life or preparing uh, to even in your single life to give your life away to others. God bless you. This has been another edition of Oral Valley Catholic.